All right, welcome. All right, well, hey, welcome to Sedaris. My name's Dave, one of the pastors here, and uh, Merry Christmas to everyone. Just days away, as my five-year-old son Grayson reminds me, he's got his little countdown going, and I remember when I was a kid how excited I would get for the arrival of Christmas, and now I just get excited for the end of this year. So uh, whatever it is that you're excited about, we're (laughs) excited that you're here worshiping with us either in person in our live studio audience or at home. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's pray and ask God to be with us in this this time. Um, I'm just going to do this with my hands. It's been uh, my practice now for a while when I pray just to open my palms up to the skies and It's actually really great for your posture as well. So um, if you want to do it because I suggested it or because you want really good posture, uh, I'd encourage you to try to do this. uh, It symbolizes the posture of your body often uh, can help align your spirit and your mind as well. So we're asking God to pour out his blessing upon us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this community that you've kept together through a long and hard year, uh, that you've actually grown us and strengthened us and given us endurance that's led to new faith and a fuller picture of who you are and, and how much we need you. And so we, we thank you for everything that we've learned this year together, for the connections that you've deepened, for the faith that has grown, for new faith that has sprouted out of the ashes. And, and, and we just pray, God, for more. We need more of your spirit poured out on us, that we might love as you love, that we may have peace that's true, hope that's true, joy that is unassailable. And so we ask now that you'd pour your spirit on us in this moment as we come to your word and we learn together. We consider the things that you've done, the things that you're doing, and the things that you will do. So would you be with us? I thank you for my friends, my brothers and sisters, for this family at Sedaris. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the last regular full sermon of 2020, and uh, we get to talk about love today. Uh, Each year, it's the same themes for Advent, Um, peace, hope, joy and love. And so we've been looking at those themes just like we always do each Advent. This year feels a little bit different because of the circumstance, because of the ways in which our lives might actually more closely align with the lives of those who were living this story of the birth of Jesus as we as his people anticipate his coming. Again, that's what Advent means, return or coming. And so Jesus came, uh, God came in the form of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and the promise is that he will return and come again. So today we're going to talk about love, and I know not all of us are in this situation, but for those of us who are married, can we just acknowledge uh, this this has been a a humdinger (laughs) of a year to be married. Uh, Some people got married this year, so you haven't experienced a full year, so it doesn't count for you. Uh, No, it counts for you. It's a hard year to get married and try to figure out marriage, but marriage is tough. 
All relationships are tough. Friendships are tough. Roommate situations are tough. And in particular, marriage can be tough in a year like this. And the reason I'm bringing this up is not because marriage is more important, but because we're actually going to look today at how a marriage stayed together through some really challenging times. Like, how in the world did Mary and Joseph stay together? How in the world did they stay together through all that they experienced, all the unexpected? Well, the answer is true love. But what in the world does that mean? Let's take a look and see if we can figure out what this true love was. So um, takes two to tango. So any good marriage needs a husband and a wife. And so Mary gets a lot of credit. Uh, but we talked about her a lot last week. So we're going to give a little bit of love to Joseph this week. Don't feel like Joseph gets talked about much <laughs> this time of year. And he probably shouldn't. That's fine. But we're going to give him a little love today. We're going to talk to Mary. Mary and Joseph both um, act out true love. We're going to spend our time looking at a narrative that focuses actually on Joseph and his actions during this season of life. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, would you open to the Gospel of Matthew? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're four different accounts of the life, ministry, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew, and we're going to be in chapter 1, the very beginning of the New Testament. Now, what you need to know, we're going to be starting in verse 18, and we're going to be reading about Joseph. But right before we get to this passage, and you're going to thank me, there's a genealogy of Jesus, a genealogy that recounts um, from where Jesus came. And it's actually the genealogy of Joseph's family. Joseph's family, because it's very important to understanding of who Jesus is, that he is in the line of King David, because the Old Testament, that's the writings of the Jewish people in Israel, predicted that out of the line of David would come the Messiah. And so in the first 18 verses of Matthew, there's a long genealogy, and then we get to Joseph and Joseph's relationship to Jesus, and we'll see what that is here as we read it. So here we go. We are going to read Matthew starting, chapter 1, starting in verse 18. I'm going to look up here because it's incredibly challenging to see with this lighting situation. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, um, and his mother, that's Jesus' mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she, that's Mary, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now what you need to know before we move on is, this is sort of a little editorial note put in by Matthew. Not everyone knew, as we'll see. Joseph didn't know that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. He's just putting that in to remind people, because they probably already knew the story, that that's who she was pregnant by. Next verse. And her husband Joseph, sorry, go back one. Did, did we skip one there, right? Oh, no, there it is. Okay, go ahead. Now, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear 
to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Speaking here of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive, this is predicted, Hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay. Have you heard this story? It's quite interesting. Um, in the Gospel of Matthew, Mary doesn't get spoken of quite as much as in, for instance, the Gospel of Luke, which we read last week. And again, the primary reason is because what Matthew is trying to do is show how Jesus is um, grafted into the lineage of David, that he is the royal son that we've been waiting for, that the Old Testament predicted. But there's some other things taught here in this passage that I think are are really beautiful and we need to um, just pause and take a closer look at. So let's take a closer look now at the text. See if I can do this without fogging up. Okay, so this is verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed. Now here's what you need to know about being betrothed. Um, It's like engagement. But it's nothing like engagement. Actually, to be betrothed means to be legally married. So the only ways to get out of betrothal would have been for someone to die or a divorce. So it's not engagement in the way that we think of engagement, which is sort of a testing period. Do I really want to marry this person? This was already a legal arrangement. So when Joseph finds out that, that Mary is with child, um, just imagine how intense of a moment that would have been for him. This legally binding agreement, and now this woman, who I've never had sexual relations with, is now pregnant. So your mind goes wild. What, what could this be? How could this have happened? And now what... Any, any normal person would have done, and the text says, right, that he was a just man. The law of Moses actually um, was pretty harsh on adultery. This would be considered adultery because a betrothal is the same as marriage. In the case of adultery, the law of Moses would have said that those who had committed adultery um, should be put to death. Now, at this time in Israel, uh, the rabbinic teaching had sort of softened that, but there was still a command or common practice to expose the adultery publicly. Or if it had been the case that Mary had been uh, violated against her will, there would have been a public um, search for whoever this person was. And so this is very intense. And the the vision and the dream of what life would be like for Joseph would have just been wrecked in this moment because this idea of 
um, having a bride that is a virgin and who has waited, this was a very big deal. And so as you see as the narrative goes, for Joseph there's not even like an idea of just, well, let's just keep going. Let's just get married. Because that would have been so far from the custom of the day and so far from the teaching of the Mosaic law. And here, as Matthew tells us, Joseph was a righteous man. He was a just man. He was a follower of the law. And so it, it, we have to try, it's so hard for us to try to put ourselves in Joseph's mind here. But this was beyond devastating. I mean, it would be devastating for anybody today if this happened, right? But back then, it was doubly devastating. And so the text says, what did Joseph do when he found this out? When, it, when he finds out that Mary is with child, he does something. The text says, verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, that is, being a righteous man, being a follower of the law, and, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, what's interesting about this text, and we don't know exactly, uh, clearly Joseph has found out that she is pregnant. He doesn't know exactly why. And we're not even sure who told him. Now, if you understand the flow of the narrative, in Luke it says that an angel came to Mary and told Mary, you are going to become pregnant the Holy Spirit is going to conceive in you. It's going to be God's son. So Mary knew, but it doesn't seem to be here that Joseph knew. Now, maybe Joseph heard uh, from someone else that Mary was with child. And so he hadn't even talked to Mary yet at this point before he does all this considering and pondering, what shall I do? It could be that Mary did tell him, and uh, he was struggling to believe her because this is hard to believe. It could be, be that uh, Joseph heard this news from Mary, that Mary said, no, 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 don't worry. It's God's son. I've conceived through the Holy Spirit, and Joseph was, wants to trust her. He loves her. You know, she's, on all accounts, a very respectable woman. And so he goes, and he talks to his friends, or he talks to his dad. He says, hey, Dad, uh, uh, Mary's with child. And she says it's from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, his dad looks at him and says, no, come on, no, son. I know, I know she's cute, but come on. And so he's struggling to believe. That could, we don't know exactly why it is that he finds out that she's pregnant and yet hasn't heard about this angel visiting Mary to tell her. So we don't know. But for whatever reason, he's now operating in reaction mode, and he's thinking to himself, I'm a righteous, I'm a just man, I follow the law of God. This is the custom of the day, would be to publicly sort of out her, okay? That would have been a normal thing to do. He says, no, my compassion for her says, I'm going to do it quietly, meaning I'm going to sign the papers of divorce quietly so that she's not publicly shamed, and he's moving towards these very natural responses. This is what, in some ways, they're almost beyond natural because he isn't vendettive. He's not trying to get revenge, but he's moving to divorce her quietly. But then something happens. 
what happens? Divine revelation. The angel shows up. So now, put yourself in, you know, Joseph's position. And, and read the, the language that's used here. Two things are true of Joseph. He's just and he's righteous, and he's compassionate. He doesn't want to put her to shame. He doesn't want to publicly disgrace her. And so he's considering all these things. We love that word here at Sedaris. He's considering all these things, verse 20. He's considering them. He, he's, the verb here is that, uh, the participle, which means he's constantly thinking about these things. And then eventually he resolves to do something. So he has a desired plan. He'll divorce her privately. Um, maybe send her off to a relative so that she's not disgraced and ha- can have the baby in private because he wants to inflict as little damage on her as possible. He's resolved to do that. Um, and all these things are going on in him. And, and if you were reading the, the text in the Greek, what you'd realize is that all of the verbs that are used up to this point are passive verbs, meaning these things are almost happening to Joseph. So... And they're happening to Mary. So Mary becomes pregnant. Found, they find out that she's pregnant. All these things are passive that are happening to her. Um, nothing is yet in the active. He's just, even the verb for considering what to do and resolving what to do, result, those are both in the passive, which is really interesting, which is to say what? Life is like happening to Joseph. He's, he's just reacting these things are just happening to him. He's not really in control of them. He's just doing what he can to get the best outcome out of this. And to, you know, his dreams have been shattered. His vision for his life has completely fallen apart. Um, he doesn't know what he's going to do. And they're almost happening to him. And then something in the text changes when it says, Then the angel said, and for the first time in this narrative, the active voice is used. And that's honestly the way it works. Most of the time, life just happens to us. We're very passive. And then God speaks. And then something changes. And the angel tells Joseph, he speaks a new dream into him, a new life, a new vision. And he says, listen. Now, whether he knew it or not, whether Mary had tried to tell him, no, this actually happened to me, we don't know. But now God speaks directly to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, Mary is pregnant, not by another man, but conceived through the Holy Spirit. And then the angel says something really profound to Joseph. Look what he says. Let's read it again together. This is uh, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying... Active, saying, Joseph, son of David, remember connection to the royal line of King David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and here's powerful, the very first active verb of something Joseph has to do. She will bear a son. That's quite a lot harder than what he has to do, but what he has to do is profound. And you, it's a singular You, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now you might look at that and say, okay, pretty easy gig for Joseph. But this is profound. The first time the active 
voice of the verb is used for Joseph is, Joseph, you will name the child. Why is this so profound? For Joseph to name the child, it means that, one, Joseph has to marry Mary and adopt this child that is not of his blood biologically. Joseph has to adopt God's son. And as you go on in the narrative, Joseph obeys God and adopts this newborn child as his own son and brings Jesus into the line of David and fathers this child on earth even though he has a heavenly father that is his true father. And because of Joseph's obedience in adopting Jesus as his son, if you know the story, God now adopts all of us into his family. Do you see, you see what I'm saying? Joseph has a choice to make. He's not forced into it. God gives him divine revelation. That's my son, Joseph, God is saying, and I want you to adopt him into your family and raise him as your own. And if you do, he will save my people and I will adopt them back into my family. So profound what Joseph is called to do. And what Joseph, in his limited knowledge and scope, is asked to respond to. He just has this very small sliver of the picture, and he has to trust this voice that he's heard in a dream, that that is the voice of God. And he chooses to act and to marry Mary and to adopt Jesus. And we are sitting here today because now God adopts us. It's profound. This is Joseph's act of true love. First towards God, trusting God when God gives him a new script, a new playbook, something that he's never asked somebody else to do. In fact, he put it in his law that this other thing should normally happen in a case. And God says, nope, I'm throwing that playbook out. This is your playbook, Joseph. Do you trust me? I know you've heard it said, Joseph, but I'm telling you, marry her anyhow. That's a love, a true love for God. And he loves Jesus, this yet-born child. And he says, I will protect you and raise you and teach you my craft He's acting true love towards Jesus. And then, of course, he enacts true love towards Mary. This woman, who he was betrothed to, who is with child that is not his, he has a choice to make. He already loved her in one way, had great compassion on her because he wanted to divorce her quietly. But now, because of divine revelation, God says, no, I want you to do something different. I want you to marry her. And think what this meant for Joseph. He wanted to divorce her quietly because he wanted to protect her from shame. He would have had no shame in this. 
situation. But instead, what God asks him to do to marry her is Joseph, in a true act of love, is now taking the shame upon himself. See, see that? Now everybody says, because nobody's believing the story. Maybe Joseph had heard it from Mary. He could barely believe the story, and he, he, this was his soon-to-be wife. And so what most people would think was that Mary became pregnant with someone else's child, or Mary and Joseph sinned against God and had sex before they were married. Either way, Joseph is now taking upon himself, choosing to take upon himself the shame of his now wife, Mary. Reminds you of any other stories that you know about. You see, this is true love. Love isn't doing what you are supposed to do when things are going how they're supposed to go. It's just the opposite. It's doing things you never expected you'd do when things don't go the way you expected them to go. This is true of friendships and marriages. This is true in parenting. True love reveals itself when things do not go as they're supposed to go. And the answer is, how will you respond? That's when true love is revealed. Now, a lot of love there for Joseph. Mary does the exact same thing. We're not going to read it, but in Luke chapters 1 and 2, you can go and read about it. The same thing happens to Mary. Her life, she's expected, she's lived her life in purity. She's lived her life following the law of God. She's, she's clearly been chosen by God for a special task, which means she is a righteous woman. And yet God tells her, wait, 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 it's not going to go how you think. Actually, you're going to get pregnant before you're married. And you're going to raise up my son. This is not anything that she dreamed of or imagined. But again, in her, true love prevails. She chose to say yes. First, out of love for God. God, whatever you tell me, I will do. Second, out of her love for this unborn child, Jesus. Yes, this unexpected, surprised child that has been given to me, I will love with my whole heart. And then to Joseph, to love him through it. Let him Make his decisions to love her back. Imagine the fear to be Mary, to choose to love God when he changes her life narrative completely. But guess what? Mary, just like Joseph, because she's human, needed a little divine revelation. She too needed a little angelic intervention. Okay? And that's something I want to point out here. It's always necessary for God to intervene if we are going to experience this kind of true love. Could Mary and Joseph's marriage have survived without divine revelation? Absolutely not. God knew that they needed an angel to to tell them this crazy, crazy news about the new course that their life would take. And without divine revelation... 
When our plans, our dreams, our desires, when they're thrown off, without divine revelation, we will tend to revert back and reshape our new plans by whatever the prevailing winds of culture are, whatever the, whatever the normalcy is, whatever the tropes and the attitudes of the people that we live among, whatever that is, we will tend to just do what's normal. Life will happen to us. We'll be passive until God speaks. Only then we'll be able to step into the new plan and the new dream God has for us. Mary needed it. Joseph needed it. You don't think that we need it? And God does speak. He speaks through his word. He speaks through our life of prayer. He speaks through brothers and sisters in the faith. He speaks to us, not always through angelic vision, but he speaks. Is this making sense? You see, a wounded man struggles to dream. Do you know this? The more wounded you are, the harder it is for you to dream. And Joseph was wounded. Joseph was severely wounded. And so he needed God to implant a new dream for his life. We're no different. Most of you know my story of my sister Kim being killed in a bicycling accident in 2007. I was a wounded man. I've never been so wounded. I hope I'll never be as wounded again. I could not dream. And God visited me. And he implanted a new dream in my heart. And he kept pressing that dream over and over again. Most of you heard the story about 20 minutes after I got the phone call that she'd been killed. And God literally visited. Maybe it was an angel. I don't know. It was a bright light. I heard a message from heaven. Ask my friends to consider Jesus. But guess what? God didn't stop implanting that dream into my mind. He kept pressing it. Keep asking them to consider. Keep asking them to consider. We started concerts here in Seattle, benefit concerts. We asked people to consider Jesus. He kept implanting a dream. I want you to start a church. Ask people to consider Jesus. So we started a church. We're asking people to consider Jesus. And he's kept implanting a dream through every season. As the plan changes and the course goes different than I thought it would be, I'm always turning to God for the new script. What's next? And he graciously implants the dream. And it's his dream. I pray to God that I'm not making up my own script anymore. That I'm no longer producer, director, and writer of my own story. But I, I'm just an actor. And I look to God and I say, line, line please. What's next? I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like Mary. And I want God to implant his dream for my life into my mind and my soul and then give me the strength to walk it out. So it was not without help that Joseph and Mary accepted God's new dream for their life. It doesn't mean it wasn't painful. When dreams die, it's incredibly painful. I never had one vision of my future without my sister Kim in it. It was painful to die to those visions of the future. But God will give you a new dream for your life, a new vision for your life. But you still have to participate. 
Mary and Joseph still had to say yes. They still had to opt in. They still had to accept the invitation for a new dream. And that was their act of true love. That was their act of true love. You see, it's when things don't go as pre-planned. It's, it, it's when your marriage doesn't end up like you thought it would. It's when your friendship takes a turn that you never expected. It's when people don't turn out to be just as you thought they were. It's when your dreams don't come true, and yet you still choose to give yourself away that you are enacting true love. You see that? It's when it doesn't go according to plan, and yet you choose to give yourself to that person. Just as Joseph gave himself to Mary, that you've enacted true love. New plan, new person, new dream. And when you step into that in faith, come what may, that is true love. How do I know this? I seem very confident that that's true love. Well, I've been married. That helps. I have kids that weren't like the kids I had envisioned exactly. My marriage is not exactly as I envisioned it. This church hasn't been exactly as I envisioned it. Almost nothing in my life turns out exactly how I planned it to be. But when I continue to give myself, I know that that power comes not from me, but from God. How do I know this is true love? Because it's exactly how God loves us. <laughs> you guys probably knew I was going to say that. God is true love, the Bible tells us. And if this is how he acts, then this is the definition of love. What do I mean? God created all things, and they were very good, including me and you. And he had a special love in his heart for me and you, for humanity. Guess what? We messed it up. We tried to do it our own way. Things went terribly wrong, not as God desired or designed them to. But what did God do? He didn't give up on us. He kept giving of himself. And if you read the Old Testament, that's the story over and over and over again. Pre-flood, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Israel. It's always things not going as God desires, has commanded, has told them it would go. Because we tend to do something different, go our own way, and yet God, again and again, out of his love for us, keeps giving himself to us. Until what? Until finally, until finally, when circumstances have changed so much, when no one would blame God for leaving and starting a new family somewhere else, God gives the ultimate sacrifice. He shows truly what love is, and he literally gives himself into humanity in the giving of his son, who is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, which we read right here, prophesied by Isaiah, attached to Jesus' birth story, and it's what we celebrate at Christmas, the gift of Jesus, which is 
When things don't go as they were supposed to go, God still gives himself away to the people that he loves. That's you and me. That's true love. That's how God loves us. And so you have to ask yourself that question. Is that exactly how you love God? Twenty twenty has been a lot of things. And throughout this Advent series, we've been talking about how 2020 has sort of taken things away. We've experienced a lot of loss this year, a lot of darkness, a lot of expectations, right? So who hasn't had unanswered prayers in 2020? Who hasn't had plans canceled, changed, obliterated? Who hasn't had their futures rewritten or left unwritten? Who hasn't had dreams crushed in 2020? Most of us have. And we lament that. We lead with lament. But we also, I think, at times I've been able to do this, become thankful. Because in 2020, it's made me reassess my love for God. When I don't have things going the way that I want them to go, do I still turn and trust God? If I do, that's my love for him. So if you made it through this year and you still desire to give yourself to God, give him control of your life, turn to him and trust his plans, trust his word, follow his word, even when you've experienced so much loss and the rewriting of the story and dreams dying, if you still desire and turn to him, for new dreams, then I think you're tapping into that true love that God has showed towards you, that compelled God to never give up on humanity, compelled Joseph to not give up on Mary, compelled Mary to never give up on Jesus until his dying breath. You see, in the darkness, true love tends to become even brighter. I hope you've experienced that in your relationships, in your friendships, in your marriages, and hopefully with your God. If you haven't, here's what you should do. You can't get there without a little divine revelation. You need to spend some time with God you need to look at the way he loved you because it's only in response to his true love for you that you will be able to live out true love towards others. So go back. Ask God to speak to you. Ask him to give you a dream for your life. Trust in what he's done for you in the cross and by the resurrection. And you too might be able to, even in the midst of intense loss, experience the most profound love it's humanly possible. I hope you do that. I hope you experience the free gift of God's love for you. We'll talk a little bit more about that gift on Christmas Eve. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for adopting us, for giving us a new name, for calling us beloved, for calling us sons and daughters, for giving yourself to us so that our family could be made whole again. There's nothing that we can do to earn that kind of love and nothing that we can do to repay it. All we can do is sit in your love and seek to love others as you have loved us. God, in this season of waiting, waiting for new dreams, for dreams fulfilled, for new visions or visions completed, God, whatever we're waiting for, whatever we've lost, God, even in the midst, would you help us to know of your true love for us? It's in Jesus' name we pray.